Amen. Good morning, guys. Uh, kids, you are free to go to your class. Uh, make your run for it now. If you have your Bible, we're in Exodus chapter 33. Uh, today, before we start, though, I want to walk through a couple of things that I think are important. Um, the first, it was brought to my attention just a minute ago. Perry, you're going to be upset with me. We're going to draw attention to you right now. We are. Um, yeah. Why don't you come up? I'm being serious. Yeah, please do. Please do. Uh, so Perry Everson, she really is going to be mad at me for doing this, but she plays such a huge role, and y'all don't even know it, most of the stuff that she does. But when, when someone comes to our church for the first time and they fill out a little thing, the first point of contact is Perry and has been for some time. And so, um, listen, we're not going to ask you to talk. We just, I want everyone to see you and just to tell you thank you. So this is Perry's last Sunday. She's moving. Um, you can ask her later so she doesn't have to do this in front of all of you, uh, what she's going to do. But thank you for everything that you've done for the branch. As long as we've been here, Perry has been here. And so we don't know how to do branch without her. And uh, so we'll figure it out. But we love you and we're so thankful for you and the way that you've just been such a faithful servant. And so she's been a great example. And so let's just tell her thank you. Um, you can go sit. <clears throat> Be mindful of her as she transitions and um, just jobs and moving, and I mean, all of us are, you know, in seasons of life, God calls us to different things, but um, Perry has been a faithful steward of her time here in Dahlonega, and we're thankful for that. A um, couple of announcements. <clears throat> That's a good transition, wasn't it? Pretty nailed it. Just celebrate someone, and it's softball. Let's go. Wait till I get to Exodus 33. All right. Uh, softball tonight. I know it's holiday weekend, if you can't tell by our crowd, but... Um, we are going to play. So tonight, warm up at 5.30, games at 6. Um, so it was a great time last week. We kicked, it, kicked things off. Um, second, finance class, probably not meeting Monday. Where Thomas is not. Marshall, are you meeting on Monday? You will meet. Okay, they are going to meet. 7 o'clock at Jethro's. So um, if you want to pick up there. If you haven't been, you're still invited. It's kind of a, each week is a new lesson, and so if you're interested in doing that, connect with Marshall or Thomas after the service. And then lastly, our next Next Steps class. So this is for those of you who've been coming for a while and might be interested in learning more about church membership, what that looks like, the process that we have in place for that. Uh, you get to know our elders, some of our staff, uh, kind of core mission, vision, values. So we do that right after the gathering. That's June 11th. Uh, we'll provide lunch if you'll just sign up. There's a link in our email. Uh, if you don't get the emails, let us know, and we'll make sure you, you do, and we can help you get signed up for that. So, uh, all right, let's do this. Exodus 33. So we've been in, a, um, we've been in Exodus for a very long time. And it has been, uh, I was telling some friends of mine uh, this past week as uh, we're studying, it's kind of a men's group I'm in, studying a different book of the Bible, just how rich Exodus has been for me personally. And just as, as we take our time and we study God's word for what he has for us, uh, what we can learn. But I, I do want to, before we even jump into Exodus 33, just mention that today is Pentecost Sunday. So I just want to speak to that because some of you might, huh, I've heard that word, but I didn't think we were that kind of church. Um, well, we're, we're not, kind of, um, but it is a significant day in the life of the church for two reasons. The first, on Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost just means 50 days, okay? So the, that word, that's where we get that word, and it's 50 days after Easter, okay, where God sent the Spirit um, to give us power. 
And uh, we've talked about that now for a number of weeks um, as we are stewards of what God's called us to do, the power that we have to go and do mission, to do discipleship, which is the mission that Jesus has given us, to do all the things that God has equipped us to do, we have to have the power of the Spirit. So on Pentecost, the Spirit comes down, um, and, and now we're indwelled by the Spirit. We, in essence, become the tabernacle in that moment. The second thing that happens is this is really the ignition of the church age. We are here today because God has given his Spirit, and when we see Pentecost in Acts 2, what the very next thing that happens is is the church explodes. And basically that whole rest of Acts is church plant, church plant, church plant, church plant, church plant, right? And so um, just I want to I mention that briefly because it's important. So we're also 50 days from Easter. How weird is that? Time is flying, and it's summer. Kids are out of school. And um, anyways, so all right, let's do this. I'm going to give us an, a quick recap of Exodus. So if you haven't been here, I'm going to try to go through the entire narrative, all right? I'm just joking. We're going to start in Genesis. God spoke all things into creation, okay? We're not going to do that today. We don't have time. But what I do want to do is kind of give you some key markers that I think are important for us to understand where we are today, okay? And today is a, today's a really hard passage, frankly. All right? Particularly this first, these first six verses are very, very challenging. And um, so what I want to do is just give you a, a kind of an overview of where we've been, where Israel has been, and then where they're headed, Okay, because we get a glimpse of where they're headed today uh, in its fullness. So <clears throat> the first thing that we need to remember is that Israel has been slowly making its way, uh, was slowly making its way into Egypt. Okay, so uh, Joseph was, the, was one of Jacob's sons. His brothers hated him, sold him into slavery. He winds up in Egypt. Okay, do you all remember this? This was a long, 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 long time ago. Okay, and as Joseph is there, he begins to make provisions for the rest of his family to wind up coming into Israel, I mean, into Egypt. So uh, the rest of his uh, brothers wind up coming, his dad comes, and then all of a sudden we have 70 Hebrews in Egypt. That 70 soon becomes, we don't know the exact number, but we know that 600,000 men wound up leaving Egypt. So it becomes a mighty nation within. In fact, early on in Exodus chapter 1, the real problem in Egypt was that Israel was what? They had multiplied and become powerful, okay? There were a lot of them, all right? And what happened is the power that Israel had became a threat to Pharaoh, all right, who was the narcissist of narcissists, the king of Egypt, okay? So that's what's happening is as Israel slowly makes its way into Egypt through the provisions of Joseph, Israel has become now exceedingly strong. This was the problem, right? So what does Pharaoh do? He decides to kill all the firstborn sons of the Hebrews, okay? And there was one that was saved. There was one that was redeemed, preserved, if you will, in a little, in a little ark, a little basket. This was no, uh, Moses, right? Moses was put into a basket. The ark, maybe almost, I almost said Noah. Noah also was on an ark. It was just a little bit bigger, okay? Um, Moses didn't have two of every kind on his little basket. It was just him and his diaper, okay? So uh, his mom throws him into the Nile, right? I mean, you remember the story. So Moses is, is floating as an infant down the river, and who rescues him? It's Pharaoh's daughter. So the, the man who, who sent the edict to kill all the firstborn in Israel, it's now it's his house that rescues the one who's going to free Israel. All right, this is, a, this is crazy, right? If you think about the context, this is why we're doing this, okay? Just to be reminded of where we've been. And so Pharaoh's daughter rescues him out of the Nile, brings him in, and now <clears throat> Moses is raised up in Pharaoh's household. He looked like an Egyptian, okay? And we know that as he became a man, he saw violence against his people, and then he killed a guy. I just want to keep that in. Don't forget that. Moses is a murderer, 
okay? And yet he is the tool, he is the resource that God uses to rescue his people. God at no point gives up on Moses, even though Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land, and I'm skipping ahead a ways, okay? So just as we remember what has been going on, God has chosen to use Moses, even though Moses has done nothing to earn it, okay? Moses was sentenced to death in the river from Pharaoh, and God rescued him from a baby, and he used him to save his people. So one of the things that we have to remember is that God hates sin. This is where we were last week, okay? Exodus 32 is the golden calf scene, all right? So now we're fast-forwarding from uh, Israel has finally left Egypt, right? Now they're on the run. Uh, God flips the edict on its head, and now if every firstborn of the Egyptians is going to be killed, if they don't have blood on the doorpost, right? You remember this? This is, this is how God, this is the final plague that eventually Pharaoh says, get out, okay, please, because even Pharaoh's house was hit, right? And as uh, the Israelites run, Pharaoh chases them, and this is where we get the Red Sea, okay? Red Sea, God opens the waters, Israel goes through, here comes the Egyptians, wham, bye, you're out, game over, okay? No more Pharaoh, no more chariots, right? <clears throat> but it was the, it's in the desert, though, where God's work really does begin in God's people, right? So for a long time, they've been slaves, they've been, they've been servants, and it was brutal work, right? I mean, they're making bricks and doing all this horrible labor. But it's in the, in the desert where they're supposed to be free, and yet they feel more captive than they did before, right? They said, Moses, what did you bring us out into the desert to kill us? Like, we want to go back, right? And don't we do that sometimes even in our own sin, is we want to go back because we think that what makes us happy is what makes us holy. And that is the great lie out of Eden. So for 400 years, they were slaves, and now they found freedom, and in their freedom, they become to wrestle through their identity as God's people. But we got the, the primary thing in the desert is that God hates sin, and Exodus 32 shows us that. The golden calf elevates sin to a high level, and uh, basically, do y'all remember, if you weren't here last week, so Moses has gone up on the mountain, he's going to get the tablets of stone, right? This is the God's commands. He comes back down, and all of a sudden, there's a golden calf, and all of the Israelites are worshiping the golden calf because they've lost faith that Moses was going to come back. Pretty much, okay? So Aaron has made this thing and he blames the fire, right? Don't we do that? Like we look at our own sins, like, no, 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 it was that guy's fault. Like I didn't do that. Or, oh, I don't know how that came up on my computer screen. It just did. It was a pop-up, right? We do this kind of thing all the time. Aaron does it too. So we didn't invent this deflection. Aaron did. Let's blame him. Or maybe it was even before that. I don't really know. But here we go. Exodus 33, we begin to see this shift now, okay? Because all of a sudden, as the consequence of sin is what? It's death, right? And that's right, and it is just, okay? It is right, and it is just. And so as we begin to see God's presence being talked about here in Exodus 33, we have to remember that God is also right to have wrath, we like to talk a lot about God's grace and his mercy, God's love, but we don't like to talk about his wrath. And what was the consequence that we saw last week? We saw thousands killed because of the sin of the golden calf. And was that right? Did God have the power and the authority to do that? Absolutely. He also had the right and the authority to wipe them all out, yet he promised not to do it. Okay? So let's start reading Exodus 33, verse one. I'm going to stop kind of right in the middle. I'll let you know when we're going to do that. So verse one, the Lord said to Moses, depart, 
go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. These are the forefathers, okay? Saying, to your offspring I will give it. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That sounds good, all right? Verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. All right, now let's stop right there, okay? That sounds pretty good, right? This is what Israel has been wanting since they left Egypt. They wanted a place to establish their power. They wanted a place to, to dwell. They wanted a place to call home. And finally, God says, you can have it. Now, I want to be, I'm, I'm a word guy, okay? Words matter. We tell our kids this all the time. Words matter, okay? So be, be mindful of the words that we use. But the words here matter too, okay? So for the first time, we don't see my angel. We see an angel. And I don't want to bring too much of that, but all of a sudden there's this shift. Now they are a people, not my people, right? God has said, you are my people. But right here, it's you are a people. This stuff matters. Because all of a sudden, God has come to them and he said, hey, listen, what you did back there is not acceptable, right? And you don't deserve to be in my presence. But I'm going to give you what I said I was going to, but, right? We've always said, like, whenever you see but, you better wake up and listen, okay? We have, we have one of those here, right? At the end of verse 3, but I will not go up among you. Hold on. So let me get this right. This land flowing with milk and honey that you have promised for generations, right? This is long before they ever even got to Egypt. You, now you're not coming. Now for Moses, Moses is in good relationship with God, right? Israel's floundering a little bit, right? But Moses and God, it even says here later, they were friends. God speaks to Moses as a friend. And so what we have here is we've got this reality that what we often desire in our human nature is not always what God has for us, okay? So they desired the promised land, right? And naturally, they haven't had a home in forever. But the promises of God are always fulfilled in the presence of God, okay? So I've, here, let's put this into, uh, let's apply this to our lives, right? A lot of times we come to God and we said, hey, God, you know what? If um, I really want this job, I really want this job, or I really want this girl to marry me, or I really want to graduate, or I really want, you fill in the blank with whatever your thing is, right? And so oftentimes we get so consumed with what we desire that we are losing the reality of God's presence. We're not aware of what he is actually doing. So what that means for us is sometimes we desire God's stuff rather than God's presence. And that's what's happening here in Exodus 32 and 33. Okay, so let's pick back up. Go to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now, listen, I don't know if you've ever been called a bad name. I, I have been, believe it or not, just a couple of times. You can count on one hand, okay? Um, this one would have hurt, okay? Because now Moses has got to come and he's got to tell the people, you know what, this is what God has for us. But we're, we're not going to go, because if we go into the promised land, we're going to be devoured. God had made, he provided everything. There was an angel to guide them, okay? He was going to take care of all their enemies, all of the ites. They were going to be defeated, no matter what. But what was not going to happen was God wasn't going to go with them. And that is the tragedy of what happened in Exodus 32. When the people heard this, verse 4, this disastrous word, 
okay? When they heard this disastrous word, they mourned. Now we have a right response to sin, okay? Do you see the pivot? They mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Our greatest need is God's presence, period. Okay? That is our greatest need. You can have all of the riches of the world and not have it, which Egypt did, right? Egypt was a powerful nation. They had tons of gold. They had tons of silver. They had all the herbs. They had all the spices. They had a, a very fertile land. They had transportation with the river. They had, they had it all. But they didn't have God. And they became an enemy of God. And we can do that too. We become so consumed with the stuff of the world. I mean, my goodness, if you pay attention at all to what's going on in our world, have we ever lost our identity as a people of God? It's been our culture, okay? And so what we have to do as Christians in the church is we've got to, we have to rest. And this is a promise that comes later. We talked about Sabbath a couple weeks ago, but we get that here too. Rest ultimately only comes in the presence of God. So see how Israel responds to the reality of God's going to send you to this place that he's been promising, but the ultimate promise of his presence isn't going to go with you. So let's don't go there. We want to be where the presence of God is. What if we would be a people who would just rest there? Our only desire is not for the nicest building in town, although we really want a building, okay? This is, this is great. We love it, right? But that's not, but what if we did that and we lost the presence of God? Or what if, we, what if we got that job that we've been praying for? What if that girl finally said yes, even though she made a huge mistake, right? Or what if, what if you would name it? What if we get those things and God doesn't go with us? What do you do? Israel mourned, and then they worshiped. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside. Now, this is not the tabernacle, okay? The tabernacle has been instructed but not built yet. Instructed, not constructed. Construction's coming later. So this is the tent of meeting where Moses would go. So Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, right? The tabernacle goes inside the camp. In the center, the tent is outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out of the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Verse 8, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. And each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Let's go. Right? Let's go. That's what we want. Verse 10, and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and what? Let's say it together. They would worship. Okay, so let's see what's going on. We have sin. We have dramatic sin, idolatry. Okay? All of sin, by the way, is idolatry. Right? It's putting in God's rightful place something that is not God and worshiping it like it is God. Okay? So we have sin. We have repentance and mourning. They mourn their sin. And then what do they do? They worship. They worship. That is the right response to God's presence. Thus the Lord, verse 11, used to speak to Moses face 
to face. Now, let's be very clear. That doesn't mean physically face to face. Okay, there's going to come a passage next week that Jared's going to teach us on um, where God's glory is going to breeze by Moses in a cave because the, if, if Moses were to look on him, his face, it would kill him or consume him, right? So this doesn't mean like we're sitting at, a, at, at Jethro's like face to face, okay? But this does mean a very friendly interaction, right? It's a very intimate relationship, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. There is a promise in that as we are people of Jesus, we become friends of God. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now what I love about this is when I was, is the zeal of a young man, okay, when he gets into a position of service, Right, so what we see, we see a lot of like young, we see a lot, of, we have some here in, in the room, like our staff is made up of predominantly younger guys with a tremendous amount of zeal and commitment, right? So when Moses leaves, Joshua say, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to stay here because I don't want to miss anything, right? And so what we see in Joshua, when Joshua becomes a hero uh, for Israel, he's going to be the one who leads them finally into the promised land. But God uses young people to do his work too. I think a lot of times, and I'm saying this, so if you're new to the branch, we generally have an enormous amount of college students in the room. It's summer break, so we have less college students than we normally do. So maybe we'll send this podcast out to them. But a lot of times when we're young, we're fearful that God would call us to something great because we're scared of it. And yet we see here with Joshua, Joshua was going to be used for something great, something that had been promised for generations and generations and generations as he leads the people into the promised land. God uses people of all ages, all stages, to accomplish his work for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? So <clears throat> what I want to do before I keep us going is I want to read from Mark chapter 8. So if you want to flip over there, I'm going to give you a second to do that. I want you to see these words. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. I'm going to read down through the end of chapter 8. I think what we see in Israel is we see this a lot in the church today, but they were, they were very committed to doing religious work. They were pretty busy doing the work of the church and not very busy doing the worship of the church, okay? And we can, we can do that. Like, we can get so caught up in, like, set up, tear down, uh, softball, uh, all the stuff, right? Which, if there was ever a sanctified moment in the church, it is, it's on the dusty diamond out back, Okay? All right, so don't, don't get me wrong there. But I think the reality is we can, we can confuse religious activity with the presence of God. That's so dangerous, okay? We can think we can come to church every Sunday, do Wednesday, do all the things, and never actually know him. And you're going to live your whole life thinking you do, and you'll have missed the presence of God. And what a shame. That's, our, that's the danger in America. It's a danger in the South. It's a danger in Lumpkin County. Okay, let's don't ever get comfortable, and we'll come back to that idea here in a minute. So Mark chapter 8, verse 31, listen to these words. This is so good. Uh, Jesus, this is, he's foretelling his death and resurrection. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many, and let's pay attention to the words again, okay? That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. This is a f- f- uh, fulfillment of Isaiah. Be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be Killed, and after three days he will rise again. Verse 32, he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, this one hurts, okay, this is like being called a stiff-necked person, okay? Get behind me, Satan. Hello. Can you, can you imagine, I mean, this is Peter, who was a pretty zealous dude. 
All right, Peter, again, we're going to see you in Acts later. He's going to be the one who really kind of lights that ignition when the Spirit comes down at Pentecost, the first sermon, right? And bam, the church is running. Okay, but here he is. Get behind me, Satan. And yet, Peter will be the rock that Christ will use to build the church. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. What a warning. Verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone, listen to these words, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36, and this is the one I really want us to see. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What if you got all the things that you've been desiring and you missed the presence of God? Verse 37, what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. Jesus has a lot to say about our desires, about the core of our hearts. And here it was, if we just follow after him. So what does that look like? It looks like studying his word. It looks like spending a year and a half in Exodus. Coming to his word every day with open hearts, open minds, open hands, and being willing to commit to the hard things that he's calling us into. Moses' pursuit of the presence of God led the Israelites to worship. That's where we need to land. We don't ever come through these doors, just trust me, all of us, however many of us are in the room, there hasn't been a single person yet to date. It could happen later, but not to date who's come in these doors perfect. None of us. Not me, not you. Not a single one of our elders, not any of our staff, no one. And so for us, what we have to do is we have to become aware of our sin, And ultimately, as we wrestle with this, our sin separates us from the presence of God, and yet Christ reunites us in the presence of God, guess what? Then we do well. We worship well. And that's what we do when we gather here together. Let's pick up in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, we're back in Exodus, by the way. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. My goodness. Verse 14, he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Can you imagine coming back into the people of Israel and be like, hey, just so you know, God offers, he offered us the promised land, um, but we're, we're going to stay here for a bit longer because we got some stuff to work out and God's not really through with us yet. But I mean, he's told us we could go and he's going to take care of all the people who are going to be out there to attack us, but he's, he's, not, he's, he's not going And now Moses is the one communicating that to a mass amount of people in a dry and desert land that that place of milk and honey is going to have to wait because ultimately what they needed was the presence of God. This took courage, verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? 
I and your people? What a question. For us, that question's answered in Jesus. We don't have to wonder or doubt. It's firm and it's founded and it's forever. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people? For every other people on the face, from every other people on the face of the earth. Verse 17. This is our last verse for the morning. The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do it. I will do it. I will go with you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. You know, we talk a lot about God knows his children, right? And we'll talk about the, he knows every hair on your head, but that sounds cool, right? I turned 38 this week, by the way, and I plucked a gray hair out of the side of my head. I got it too. It's gone forever, I think. But he knows every hair on our head, but that sounds cool. And, it, and it, it is powerful. But he also knows your name. Like, think about that. Like, he knows your story. He knows your background. He knows your future. He knows the foundation of your faith because he provided it. He knows what you're wrestling with, whether you confess it or not. He's never removed from his people, not from the time of Jesus onward. He's never left you alone. So in the midst of like the dark night of the soul, just know that you're not by yourself. The Spirit of God has come now and dwelled among us, and we can find freedom there. We can find rest there, the rest that we haven't known since we left the garden. True rest is only found in the presence of God, and that I think we have a lot to be thankful for. But the danger is that we think we can manipulate God through our prayer. This is what was happening in Israel. We can't. What our job as followers of Jesus is to be open to God's sovereign plan in our life. And sometimes that means saying yes to really hard things. Like what if God calls you to go to a place that you don't know anything about and go plant a church? Right? I've done that. That's hard. Okay? Or what if he calls you to go teach somewhere outside of your community? Or what if he calls you to go be whatever Okay, I don't want to do everyone in the room. Andrew's done that once, and it was super impressive, and now I've always felt judged for not being able to do it. But God's calling all of us to do one thing, and it's to dwell in the presence of God. And as we do that, we become missionaries. Okay, if we're truly resting in the presence of God, everything that we do is for the glory of God. Everything. Okay? And I hope you will remember that. As Moses becomes this intercessor, right? This is a word that we've used. He stands on behalf of God's people and it to God, right? Ultimately, Jesus is the better intercessor. He is the better mediator. Moses doesn't get the promised land. Jesus is the promise. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. You know, I think for me, birthdays are weird, especially when you get older. I don't know if 38 is older. It feels older, um, sort of, I guess. I don't know. It's a weird thing. 38 is a weird birthday. It's like, woo. Okay. It's not 40, right? But thankfully, I don't know. I'll let you know. I'll keep you updated. But it's weird, right? It's like you, you, you have this day, and you just begin to reflect on like all that God has done in your life or all, all the ways that you failed. I think the older you get, the more aware you become of your failings. I don't know if that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It's true for me, Okay. But we, become a, we, we can be consumed by these things. And the reality is, we, you fail all you want. Usually that's when God's doing his best work. As you become aware of your failings, become aware of your sin, become aware of your, your lack of ability, 
and you begin to trust that what God's doing is right. It might be hard, but it's right. And for us, I think the danger is we, we can get really comfortable. Right? I mean, we, we've never been worried that this building was going to be locked down on a Sunday and we couldn't get in it. We've never been worried about, like, we just, we just get comfortable. Like, we go through our things and our daily devotion and our checklist, and we just kind of go through the motions. We live a pretty comfortable life, for the most part. We become numb, a form of, like, spiritual atrophy. And we don't go out into the world. We just kind of come home from work and close our garage door, and we sit back and we binge Netflix which I'm pretty sure is directly from the devil, by the way. That and video games, man. They just consume, right? They consume. He's like, yeah, I can't turn it off, right? It's a distraction. And when we're comfortable, we're easily distracted because we're numb to everything else. And what I want to call us to, and I think this is exactly what's happening with Moses, and it's what's happening with Israel, is let's become aware of where we are. Let's become aware of what God's calling us to do and where God's calling us to go. Uh, this doesn't mean physically leave, but what if he's calling you into that place where things are a little bit more rocky, where it's a little bit more on the line, where you kind of leverage yourself a little bit more into the kingdom of God? What would that look like? What if, what if we were like Moses? Now we're coming to a people and we're saying, you know what? We've been stiff-necked or we've been comfortable for too long. No more. Let's go and fight for the kingdom. Let's go and fight for the gospel. Let's take it to the people because Jesus is better. I, I didn't, um, Andrew taught last week and, and did a great job, but I want to take, as we close this morning, just take a minute, because even in Andrew teaching, it was a grace, um, he had mentioned this briefly in quoting Tim Keller, but Tim Keller died about a week and a half ago, and uh, the reason I talk about it is because I think it's important for you to know who's been influential in my life, and Tim was one of those guys who just shift, he could shift an entire paradigm and you wouldn't even know it. You'd be, you'd be like, all of a sudden you'd be reading things completely different through a completely different lens and be like, huh, I've never read it like that before. And not know that he just like opened your eyes to a whole new world. He was a faithful pastor. He was a very good theologian. And he was very profound and pivotal, pivotal at a time in my life where I had no idea what I was doing. Okay? When I was in my early 20s, I went through what I call an ecclesiological crisis. Okay? What that meant was I didn't know what to do with church. Okay? I felt called to be a pastor, but I was working at a massive church with thousands and thousands and thousands of members, and I'm 25 years old. I don't know how to find Exodus in my Bible. And yet I'm like, yeah, let's go. We'll fight the world. You know? and, and I began to wrestle with what we were doing. Or kind of our core values wasn't really gospel-minded. It was like, let's gather as many people as we can and hope it's good, right? And Tim, what he did so well is he just stayed faithful to the text. Yeah, I was, as I was reflecting on his life, I was like, man, I hope that one day at the end of my life, I was half as humble, half as faithful, half as convicted, half as courageous. And I think we get, throughout seasons in human history, you get people like that who are, just changed trajectories. And he changed trajectory for me. And so I'm very thankful for his life, uh, his ministry. A few resources I'll tell you about. Uh, Ministries of Mercy is one that rocked my world, okay? 
um, and reason for God. All right, so if you were to commit to two, there's another one, but it's pretty academic. I don't think you should necessarily read it unless you like, want to go plant a church or something, um, which maybe you should. I don't know. He was a part of the reason I planted a church, um, and I'm thankful for that. But he was the one, the first video I saw of him, this was like when videos were becoming a big thing, is he did his Jesus is Better YouTube it. It's like three minutes long, okay? And he goes through each kind of big story uh, throughout Scripture, and he just does Jesus is Better, right? Jesus is the true and better David, who slayed the ultimate giant of sin and death and Satan, right? He's the true and better Moses. He's the true and better Adam, right? And it's this beautiful picture. I'd encourage you to go watch it. Maybe we'll put it in the email. Let's do that. Let's put it in the email this week, all right? Um, Anyways, let's close now and just be mindful that Jesus is the true and better mediator, okay? We enter into a time of communion Um, tables are in the back. If you're new here, um, the table is open. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to do that. You don't have to be a member of our church to do that. We just, uh, if you're following after Jesus, that is a meal that he has given to us to remind us and to refresh us. And uh, I pray that you will do that. Some of our elders, staff, and leaders will be over to the side. If you want to pray, we would love to pray with you. If you have questions about the church, or if you've got questions about, I don't know, whatever, we'll be over there. We would love to talk to you and pray with you. But the wrath of God was solely placed on Jesus one time for all time. That's the point here. The wrath of God was placed solely on the hands and feet of Jesus, and he took it for us. So let's pray. Father, we are very thankful that we can rest in the presence of you. I pray that you would help us to be mindful of our sin, not to be consumed by it. That you would help us to remember in those dark nights that you are with us. That that is through Jesus has become a fulfilled promise as the Spirit has come and dwelt within us. I pray that we would be courageous, that we would be people who fight for the gospel. That we would be people who... uh, are committed to loving well, committed to your word. And I'm thankful for Tim Keller. I'm thankful for his life and for his ministry. I'm thankful for the way that he's impacted and formed my own thinking. God, I pray for us now. I pray for these brothers and sisters that you would give us a reminder as we go to the table that you have loved us enough to send your son to stand in our place, to take the wrath that was justly due to us and placed it upon his shoulders. So we love you, we praise you, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his beautiful name, amen.